You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast with your host, Dr. Mike Brazier. We're going to be continuing with our discussion about weather, some of the severe weather that's rolling down through the mid-continent of North America. And we're also going to be expanding this discussion a little bit to the eastern U.S., uh, in particular with regard to the guest that's joining us today. He is a repeat guest. He joined us to discuss some of these same topics last year. And that guest today is Dr. Mike Schumer, Senior Research Associate and Roosevelt Waterfowl Ecologist at State University of New York, College of Environmental Science and Forestry. Mike, welcome back to the podcast. Mike, uh, thank you very much. Glad to be back. So we had a couple of reports, or at least one report this past week, um, as of the when this episode will air. I guess the first thing I need to say, anytime we start talking about weather on these podcasts, I feel like the, one of the very first things I need to do is say that, hey, we are recording this on this particular date, just because two days later, a report could become obsolete based on what happened. So we're recording this on Wednesday October 28th, and it's prob people will probably be listening to this the first week of November. So last week, the, uh, as it will be when people listen to this, we had Dr. Scott Stevens on to talk with us about uh, the severe weather that has uh, the strong cold fronts that have rolled into the prairies of Canada, the prairies of the U.S., and even down into the central plains of the U.S., and they're kind of working their way to the east. And Mike, we wanted to have you on to discuss this, maybe in some additional scientific aspects. Frequent listeners of the podcast will remember, hopefully remember, that you joined us for a couple of episodes in season one. Those were episodes 24 and 25 from season one, where we spent a fair bit of time uh, talking about some of your research into waterfowl migration, duck migration in particular, and how it is influenced and kind of quantitatively how it's influenced the timing and severity of migration uh, by weather severity. And so I would encourage people if they did not catch those episodes to go back and listen to them. Seasons, uh, season one, episodes 24 and 25, we're not going to get into all the details of, of your work this time around. We're going to kind of just jump into some of your latest work, some of your latest forecasting. But uh, I guess briefly, it is appropriate to uh, to ask you to give our listeners sort of a thumbnail sketch of the, the nature of the research that you've done into weather and its influence on waterfowl migration, and then how you've translated that into some weekly forecast of what people can expect with regard to waterfowl migration or duck migration. So just give us a, a brief rundown of that for those that may be joining right now. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Uh, it, it certainly is, all this work is rooted in the fact that I'm a duck hunter at heart um, and always wanted to know, you know, what were the best days to go. Um, and then when when my wife and I moved to Mississippi for a while and I worked 
Mississippi State University, um, we got to do some, some work on um, the timing of migration. And really, it's, it's very simple. We looked at a lot of weather metrics um, and, and, and waterfall survey data uh, to determine what type of weather um, causes ducks to migrate. We all talk about it in the duck blind, right? But nobody put a number to it. And that's really what we wanted to do so that, so that I could, you know, pick up a newspaper or go online and, and look at the weather for the next week and then pick a day that might be the best day to pick up a flight of birds um, coming into, into Mississippi. And so that's really where it started. And we've used a, a variety of data sets of weather and um, waterfall survey data from throughout the Mississippi and Atlantic Flyway over the years to come up uh, with these weather severity indices that predict movements of ducks um, and then uh, refine them through time with additional studies thereafter. Mike, I, I mentioned the previous episodes where we went into greater detail on the, the different components of your weather severity index. But at the start here, maybe what I'll do is get you to tell people where they can find more uh, more information about those um, uh, about that work and about what went into calculating the weather severity index. Uh, so I know you have a website. So so let's just kind of plug that website so that people and, and we can do it again at the end. But uh, but again, we're not going to go into all the details right here. But just tell people where they can learn more about the specifics of this for those that want want that information. Yeah, that's an easy way to do it because in episode one, um, I do explain uh, more of the details about. Um, the weather severity index and what what goes into it weather-wise. It's mostly temperature and snow cover. But we, uh, I developed a, a YouTube channel this year um, called Weekly Duck Migration Forecast. And if you just go to YouTube and type in Weekly Duck Migration Forecast, you'll find it. For those folks that are on here that went to the paper copy um, on my webpage previously, we've abandoned that for an audio and video uh, option that uh, takes, you know, 15, 20 minutes a day. It, it covers a, a few other topics as well. Um, but that's where, where you'll find that, that information. Mike, with that covered in terms of where people can learn more about this, I want to start out with you giving us, um, you know, just personally, what's, what are weather conditions like over in your neck of the woods up in New York? We heard from Scott Stevens last week, so we kind of know that, but we want to build the other part of the puzzle here. So what's it looking like up in the, in the Northeast? Yeah, so it's been a real mixed bag. We started out really, um, really warm. Um, I, I would say we still, in general, up until recently, and into what's going to happen this weekend and next week, um, have been abnormally warm in the east. Um, it's there's been this you know ridge of real cold air that's dropped into the prairies and such. Where Scott Stevens uh, saw those you know I mean extreme I would say extreme conditions for this time of year, but we've had just warm Gulf air coming up towards us. You know it's this continued series of um, you know storms and goodness I feel for those folks on the coast and everybody in the Southeast that's gotten so much water for sure. Um, but that's really blown up warm air towards us over and over and over again. And so we've had, um, my personal experience, I mean, I've actually had zeros on the board, which I don't usually get on a duck hunt. Um, but you know, opening days were good. We get a lot of at the latitude of where we're at in Syracuse, New York, just South of Lake Ontario. We get a lot of these initial movements of ducks out of Ontario and Quebec that um, 
are just movements that are going to happen based on photo period. Um, those ducks aren't going to stay there. It's not based on weather. So they make these initial movements out of the breeding grounds to areas where there's more productive soils and more productive wetlands with more food um, to feed. And so um, we had some really good opening days. Um, we have with several um, different zones we can hunt here and, and had several good opening days with, uh, you know, widgeon and gadwall and mallards and teal and ringnecks and, I mean, a real nice diversity of birds. Um, and then recently when uh, the prairies and over towards, you know, Wisconsin and Northwest Ontario got cold, uh, we saw, a sh we actually saw, even though we were mild, we saw a shot of ducks come in, um, you know, a good flight of bird, new birds show up last week um, that my wife and I were able to take advantage of it. Uh, one of the most uh, local national wildlife refuges that we hunt. Um, and, and I think, you know, this is kind of, I always beat the drum that a lot of our ducks come out of Ontario and Quebec, um, in this part of the world, and they most certainly do. Um, but that storm and that cold in the West really, to me, kind of made me eat my words a little bit. Cause I think there's no way we were picking up ducks from the Ottawa river Valley, you know, between Ontario and Quebec because of the warmth we were pulling, we were getting those ducks out of the Northwest. So um, it's been a mixed bag, but I, I see, I mean, boy, we got snow two days in the forecast coming up. Um, that's relatively early uh, relative to past years. So I think, I think we're in good shape over here. Um, you know, now a lot of birds have moved in and, and it's, it's mostly about um, finding where those birds are at in good habitat with good food now. That's an interesting description on, that you offered there, Mike, where, where it's been warm in the East. Uh, and I wasn't, I'll confess, I wasn't terribly in tune with weather conditions um, there where you are. And your assessment that the strong cold fronts down through the prairies probably brought some new birds into your area. And so just the way you think about the origin of these birds and how it's influenced by the weather patterns that you're seeing is pretty neat to be able to apply what you've learned uh, from that. And, and again, it, it emphasizes the importance of of conserving habitats across large landscapes because you're getting birds right now from the prairies, whereas, you know, once things tend to cool down uh, farther east there, you're, you're going to be getting birds uh, from um, from on Ontario, more birds from Ontario and Quebec. So, um, you know, and we've learned a lot about distribution of birds and derivation of harvest. And so this is a, a great little point to emphasize that, that, that you get birds from different locations at different times of the years based on weather conditions that are occurring at the, the sites where those birds are originating. Yeah, for sure. And, and, you know, I, I, I'm always one that, cause we're in the East and, and, you know, so much, uh, attention gets, gets kind of paid to the prairies for a very good reason, right? It's, it's kind of the breadbasket of, uh, of the continent and where most ducks are, are coming out of and, and produced from. Um, but I always try to ensure working out here, um, that we don't forget about these these eastern birds because um, you know they they matter a lot to the per percentage of our bag. And I actually, as a researcher, think about you know we don't we don't band a lot of those birds. Um, we count them okay in general, but uh, relative to other populations, we don't know a lot about them. And so yeah, we need to pay attention to those those prairie birds because they shoot birds all over the continent. Um, but then there's niche birds that make a difference uh, to, to what you see, you know, in front of you in the blind. And then when you go out with binoculars and camera in the spring and, and see ducks, um, you know, 
in, in, in all truth, ducks, ducks everywhere matter. And Mike, remind me, how long has the season been open there in, in New York th- so far this year? So the Northern Tier in New York opens the first Saturday in October. Um, and then three weeks later, the, uh, the Western Zone and Southern Zone opens. Uh, in between, Lake Champlain opens between New York and Vermont. And then much later, uh, don't ask me that date of that, because uh, okay. not to travel all the way to Long Island. Yeah. But Long Island does stick out in the ocean, so they open. Um, they do open quite late. I'm going to take flack yeah. from my friends down in Long Island for that comment. Yeah. <laughs> well, sometimes that happens. Yeah. Uh, it, it's been pretty interesting. You know, a lot of the states here in the Mississippi and Central Flyway, certainly the southern states, uh, are, are not open and are in some cases close to a month away from being open. And yet we're seeing fairly significant influxes of birds into some of these areas based on just some of the reports I'm I'm seeing on social media, which is uh, it's it's pretty cool to see, and uh, this this happens every now and then. I was talking to Scott, and it it seemed like this this extreme cold, you know, relatively extreme cold for this time of year, uh, happened and occurred rather suddenly. I was actually fishing in South Louisiana most of last week. We ended up picking. Uh, and an ideal week to do that because it's like you had to squeeze it in in between uh, hurricanes and we got lucky in that regard. But my mind wasn't necessarily in tune with what was happening up on the prairies. And then I start getting some messages about, hey, this extreme weather is coming in. And so it's like, wow, that happened, happened quick. And so when that does happen, we see some of these big movements. Uh, and so I, I guess with that, Mike, I want to transition to talk about the forecast that you would have released earlier this week. Again, as we're recording this, uh, that report would have come out on Monday. And so give us a, a rundown on, on you know, what, what that what that forecast would be for duck migration. And again, for the listeners that um, we probably, probably need to point this out, your forecast pertained to the central and Mississippi and Atlantic flyways, right? Yeah, mostly Mississippi and Atlantic. Um, it, it, you know, we, we kind of pick away at um, the Dakotas because that's where a lot of the Mississippi flyway ducks are coming from too. Uh, we don't really get into like Kansas and Oklahoma and Texas right now. Um, I think we're going to that in the future we've got some work coming up where i want to focus a little more on what's going on out west and see our models uh predict those types of things but mostly the mississippi and atlantic so i can i can speak to that um i'd even say you know it's really hard when your temperatures are pretty warm and you know you're not even putting putting thermals on and you're still wearing your thin waders um to then you know look at weather out west and and talk about how cold it is and how ducks are really moving. So I think it, if anything, you know, I sometimes, and this is just human nature of just the place you're at, right? Um, The numbers said there'd be pretty good movements of birds, but I kind of under forecasted it a little bit, I would say. Um, I mean, I talked about like Iowa and Missouri and Illinois picking up ducks. And if, if you look at their, you know, you look at their area averages, they're a little above average. Uh, but not anything, you know, crazy abnormal. Uh, but sometimes these ducks are in good shape and they make, you know, they make really big jumps uh, further south. And when, you know, when I'm, these ducks we're talking about, Mike, I think we should be clear that these uh, weather severity indices are for, for dabbling ducks. So, you know, mallards and in the east, black ducks and gadwall and widgeon and green-winged teal and shovelers and such. So, you know, a lot of the big movement that occurred, um, you know, way south stuff. I think the Southern folks are probably seeing for 
large degree are those early ducks. So anything but a mallard and a black duck, because they, they tend to migrate way earlier. Um, and, and it seems like, you know, mal I think mallard should be pretty stacked up at that mid latitude of like Iowa, you know, Illinois and Missouri right now in the Mississippi flyway for sure. Yeah, Mike. So I, I actually listened to or watched your YouTube video from this week and, and I was, my initial reaction was one of, I, I guess I was a bit surprised when I looked at the, the graphic for mallards and black ducks, because I think I would have expected based on what I was hearing and seeing on the weather maps, a, a bit more of an indication of birds moving out of those northern tier locations. I did notice, however, that Churchill, Manitoba is no longer on that graphic. So that was always the one that, that first uh, lost birds. And so it obviously would have if it was still included in that table. So, but then whenever I got to the, or you got to the, uh, I believe it's the gadwall and shoveler that are that are grouped together. And then green wing teal and American widgeon are grouped together in terms of their cold tolerance and migration tendencies in response to weather. They seem to show or clearly did show um, uh, much more significant migrations out of those northern latitudes. So uh, again, emphasizing the, the differential cold tolerance of these birds, nothing new to hunters that have been chasing these birds for years or others that are familiar with them. But um, how does, how are we, I know you, in that video, you also made quite a few comparisons to last year. So can you speak to that a little bit? I, I do know that last year about in, in early October is when we got that really significant snowfall, but then it, it warmed back, back up. But anyway, I think just a general conversation about comparison to last year would be informative here. It's always tough because there's, you know, there's nuances with that um, as far as, you know, what type of water is on the landscape too and, and how quickly it freezes. Um, but we definitely see at least, you know, seven days ahead of where we even hit these thresholds, which would start to cause ducks to, you know, most ducks to think about migrating. Um, so we're, we're well ahead schedule of, of most in most places at this point in the Mississippi Flyway, right? The Atlantic Flyway is kind of a toss up right now. It's pretty similar um, at this point to to last year, um, but definitely an earlier movement in uh, in 2020 than, than than 2019 for sure, especially for those those early ducks. Um and then, yeah, mallard movements, uh, you know, fairly decent. It always lags behind, obviously. So, the, you know, for for southern hunters, I mean, I if we can keep up with this, which it looks like we're going to, I would expect a, a good amount of those uh, early migrating dabbling ducks to be at, you know, these, uh, you know, Tennessee, northern Arkansas, south type latitudes by opener. Um, I think the next few weeks are kind of critical for mallards to get there in any large abundance. Um, and then I know we're going to discuss kind of late winter stuff here at some point, but you, you know, December, January is a complete toss up. So um, we, we oh. might, we might, Mike, we might be in one of these years where we really do see um, good numbers of ducks at Southern latitudes, but maybe just not. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com.
Let's talk about what you're seeing over the next seven days. Um, when this episode is released, you will you will be you know, right on the cusp of releasing your official forecast for that that week, the week, first week of November. But based on where we where we sit at this day, October 28th, what are you seeing a few week a uh, few days out, seven to ten days out, in terms of of uh, likely weather conditions that are going to be influencing the eastern U.S. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, the The Atlantic coast is going to continue to see cooler weather. That that cold that was in the prairies transitioned over. Uh, the the you know the the cold isn't going away from the upper Midwest to the prairies, but it's not plummeting down as much as it was before. Um, but there's some really strong northwest winds in the Atlantic Flyway next week. Um, I expect um, you know people don't think about it, but you know, in the Atlantic Flyway, if you look at where ducks come through when they're coming from north to south, as soon as you get past Lake Champlain and into Vermont in that area, the habitat becomes relatively inhospitable. There's some ducks that come from that way, but the majority of these birds come from New York. So we're, we're, we're poised right in the middle of, um, you know, a pretty important area where, where ducks come through. And what we're going to run into, I think, uh, late next week is what we call our November lull. And the November lull is when the when the widgeon and the pintail and the gadwall and the greenwing and shovelers kind of all boogie out of town and move a little bit further south in Pennsylvania and then down, you know, towards Maryland and the eastern shore. And our and our mallards and black ducks, we haven't had enough freezing cold weather to make them move yet. So I think we're going to be we're going to get into that situation here really really quick. So hopefully po- folks had some some good hunts already this year. Um, out west uh, in the Mississippi Flyway, it's it's tough. It's a toss up. Um, I think there's going to be movements, um, but it's. I mean, I think that the you know the the, the cold that moved those birds, they kind of moved to a large degree to where they're going to be at, and there may be some shuffling around, some small movements. But my, I mean, obviously I haven't run the numbers yet, but my expectation is it's not going to be like what we saw uh, last week. Mike, I think that's the first time I've ever heard someone say out west and transition to a discussion of the Mississippi Flyway. <laughs> <laughs> I do apologize. <laughs> that's all right. Well, it's my, my forecast is only the Atlantic and Mississippi, so that, that's, that's, I, I should say further west. Thank you. Yeah, that's right. I, I understand. I knew exactly what was happening there. It, it was just interesting. You know, so many things are relative to where you are, and this was a perfect example of that. And I'll also say that your description of November being, uh, you, you're, you calling it your November lull, I was talking with Matt Kaminsky, our, our mutual friend Matt, Matt Kaminsky, last year out in California, and he was saying they referred to November as Slovember. You get that initial push of birds, movement of birds into the state, and then they get pressured a bit as a result of hunting. They figure out safe spaces and safe behaviors. And uh, and then until you get an additional um, movement of birds in and maybe more favorable weather conditions, it's it's tough sledding, you know, from a hunting standpoint. And and that's probably a pattern that is fairly uniform across all areas, you know, it just it, generally speaking. But of course, you're gonna you're gonna see some variation in that from year to year. So some some you know rather consistent and interesting patterns that we see there. Yeah, stale ducks are a thing, right? We've all experienced <laughs> we've all experienced stale ducks, um, and I don't want to bum anybody out. And who knows if my long term forecast is right? But I expect we're going to talk about that in a little bit. And my uh, my long term is is uh, get them get them get them get them when they come, and because there's you know every I think every year there's stale ducks, but I think this year has a very strong potential for stale ducks. 
Well, let's talk about that, Mike. Uh, set this up for us. When you are looking at long-term forecast for the, the winter period, what are the dominant climatological you know, phenomena that you're looking at and how is this year shaping up in that regard? Yeah, that's a good question um, and something I've been, you know, I, I, I work with long-term climatologists, uh, colleagues of mine that do something quite different than, than what we do, but the information that they gather is uh, is really informative to us. And so you can't just think about the Mississippi and Atlantic Flyway. You have to think about this as a global climate um, and how high and low pressure systems set up throughout the globe based on snow cover and ice and sea surface temperatures and land cover temperatures that then can set patterns up that lasts for, for months and months, right? The one that we're familiar with are sea surface temperatures from the Pacific Ocean, which are La Nina and El Nino. Um, there's a lot of other stuff that, that runs that as well. So, I mean, the, the, one of the biggest things going on right now globally is that there's a massive area of historic low uh, sea ice cover that we really can't ignore. The Arctic uh, sea ice is, I mean, climatologists last week freaked out because we just didn't grow sea ice over the last seven days, which has never happened in uh, the satellite record. And the satellite record's relatively short since like the 1980s. Um, but we've never not grown good, good amounts of ice extent, uh, square miles of ice in this time in October. And so, you know, that's a massive area that's actually pumping heat back into the environment from the ocean. Um, and it's, instead of, you know, reflecting heat by being covered. So folks are, are definitely um, thinking about that one. Snow cover in Siberia is another one that has an effect. Um, and one of the things that happened, I mean, Siberia hit 100 and 100.4 degrees Fahrenheit at some station weather stations this summer. Um, there were approximately 10 degrees above normal all summer long. So just the sheer heat potential of these areas right now um, has the potential to, to really change um, the, the, the weather patterns compared to normal. And this is where long-term climatologists right now, Mike, are having a hard time thinking about what's going to go on with the long-term weather because some of the heating that we've seen and abnormalities in ice and snow, some of these northern latitude areas, which we know affect our winter weather in eastern North America um, and along the Atlantic coast and the Mississippi and Atlantic Flyway, are so out of whack with what folks have seen before. It's hard to predict things you've never you've never seen. So I shouldn't ask you to try to forecast what's going what's going to happen. What these what these things that you've talked about are going to mean. So here here's the thing, right? So these companies get hired to to, to you know develop um, forecasts uh, for snowplow companies that need to, for, for instance, um, you know, make parts and stuff. So their lives dependent, their jobs depend on them. Mine doesn't really. So I can, I can for I can look at it and, and forecast anything. Um, the reality is, is it can go two ways, right? The cold, you know, early that we get. I, I, my prediction was for relatively mild October and November, some cold shots in December, um, a mild January, and then potentially some really good cold in in March. You know, that late winter period, uh, based a lot on kind of global circulation and patterns that were very much like 2016. But, you know, the fact that we got this really cold early, the, the planet only has so much 
kind of cold air in it and it, it can moderate these these patterns um you know and so we can be cold early and then have it moderate or we can be hot early in the fall and then have the chance for these polar vortex disruptions. But what I think is going on is that the planet right now is going into, um, you know, it's, it's, it's moving cold and in simplest terms, it's moving cold and warm air around. And this isn't, you know, it, it's also a hamburger, right? So there's also layers of the atmosphere, which are exchanging um, uh, cold and warm air up and down. As well, so it gets a bit confusing, but, you know, if we do all this cold stuff early, there's a really good chance that we don't have polar vortex disruptions and all the cold air just gets held at the poles later. So I think what's what's probably going to go on, it's good that we've got ducks to move for us, but um, this is my concern about stale ducks. I mean, I had originally forecasted like two, three really good cold shots in December. Well, they came early. So I think what's going to happen is folks got their cold early. They've got their ducks um, so if you look at your long-term forecast and you don't see any weather, you better think about food and disturbance, right? So this is, this is how we kind of play back and forth with these things. Hunters can have, um, good hunts. They hunt flights. They can have good hunts if they produce good habitat and they control disturbance. Um, so stale ducks, you know, worry about your disturbance and your food, um, Cold fronts, heck, doesn't matter what you got, just hunt the movement of the birds. So, so Mike, you talked about less sea ice uh, in the Arctic this year, or right now, than what we've seen in the past few years. You also spoke about record warmth in Siberia over the summer. Both of those things, as I understood it, influenced the, you know, the heating um, of, of, the, of the poles. And is that heating leading to some disruption in uh, in some of the some of the normal circulation patterns and are they kind of complicit in this early cold snap is that what's going on yeah that is that is the feeling in general is that those those centers of warm air um, that are relatively abnormal are affecting uh, low and high pressure systems at a time of year um, that they generally don't those th- those types of um, you know, pressure systems don't tend to have a lot of control until like late January, February, March, right? That's why the winter forecasters focus on those times. Um, but the thought is, is that those effects were so strong that we got a pretty much a wobbly jet stream early. Um, but that, you know, we're going to, we're going to basically equilibrate, um, relatively quickly in that, uh, regarding those those cold outbreaks and the potential for cold just to be locked at the poles later into the season is that much greater. Yeah, this is definitely one of those topics where we need to do video and then we have like the magnetic boards and we have the old, uh, you know, the, the surface features and, and we can get you on there like one of those old, uh, one of those scientists that I used to watch as a, as a child, you know, that used to kind of help educate us on science. Um, I can't remember the name of that show, but there were several of them. And, and Well, well that, that, that would corner me and actually make me explain in totality. I mean, as, as you know, Mike, my climatologist friends that I work with, they're like, you got a pretty good grasp on this for a duck guy. And, uh, <laughs> but when I, you know, when I actually try to explain to that, like when I ex- talk about it like this, they're like, well, I understand what you're saying. You're just saying it all wrong. <laughs> yeah. So if you got me in front of a board to put everything up there, 
uh, you, you might call me out a little bit. I mean, this is they, these folks are very good at what they do. Um, it's relatively complicated, um, but they've you know what what's happening more and more recently, Mike, is that the the weather patterns that are occurring are just things they haven't seen before, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's very hard to use past um, uh, you know ice, sea ice patterns and snow patterns and such to predict things into the future when you haven't seen it. That's hmm. very interesting uh, to hear. Uh, Mike, one one other thing that I wanted to talk about, and it's part of this sort of global weather pattern thing that most hunters have heard about. I, how many of us really understand it? Uh, I don't know, but it's it's been fairly common in our discussions for you know 15 or 20 years. And that's, and you've already mentioned it, but it's La Nina and, and El Nino. And if my reading is correct, um, and you actually, I think maybe even talked about this on I'm not sure if it was the most recent video, but somewhere I, I remember seeing and hearing you talk about it. This year is shaping up to be a fairly strong La Nina. Do I have that right? And if so, generally speaking, what do long-term patterns of La Nina years uh, spell in terms of what we can expect? Yeah, Mike, it really definitely looks like we're entering a La Nina year. Um, and so in general, you know, most folks can see those maps. NOAA actually put out a forecast recently um, that that really focuses on La Nina in and of itself, um, which generally shows some, you know, wetter conditions in the upper Midwest, cooler conditions in the prairie, and then warmer and drier uh, in the southeast. You know, the interesting thing, there's a lot more now, um, science-wise, information-wise, goes into the forecast than what we had uh, this you know, a few years back. I mean, the La Nina forecast we're using now is hasn't really changed at all since the 80s and 90s from NOAA. Um, and this is where, you know, independent forecasters and such on a lot with with the effects of sea ice cover um, and, and snow cover elsewhere, which, which definitely moderates what happens um, in a La Nina year. In fact, what is it? Uh, so four of nine um, of the past... 20 years in the Northeast um, were actually colder than normal, right? And, you know, that's that's not really forecasted. And then one of the things that's really important to duck hunters that we don't talk about is that January thaw, right? So if you get ducks in and you got a January thaw, which climatologists call a major winter warming, Seven of nine of those La Nina years had major winter warmings that occurred in them, right? So these patterns, when you see these very simple maps, they're not always um, that simple. And the trends aren't really as, you know, they're, they're generalizations, but there's a lot of nuances in those patterns, which may or may not affect, um, mostly may affect uh, duck migration. So it sounds like Mike, there might be might be wise to not necessarily take uh, go to the bank with a forecast of drier and warmer conditions in the southeastern uh, southeastern U.S. You know the again long term patterns, but 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 when you actually compare, um, you know the, things can can certainly be different this year, and and that's a good piece of information to take away. Uh, it's it's useful to be aware of these long term patterns. But uh, and but in the end, you got to keep our uh, we have to keep our eye on on what's happening, you know, um, in the near term. So is that a fair way of looking at it? Yeah, it is. I mean, um, you know, La Nina 
patterns uh, provide generalizations, but again, you know, about 50% of the time, um, they don't always produce exactly, you know, within a reason what we would expect. I think this year, given the, uh, the comment by long-term climatologists about, you know, this massive amount of variability we have and unknowns, that, and this is a plug for my own YouTube channel, really. I think you just got to look week week weather. Um, and hunt days that look like like birds are going to move, and that you know that weather severity index over the years that I've used it has helped me spend good days in the field, and uh, you know I, I hope it helps you know other folks with as as they you know get out throughout the winter and hunt. So I think really just watching week week what's going on and be flexible. Um, it's going to be your best bet for deciding kind of when to go. Mike, this is probably a, a useful place to start wrapping up. I will echo what you said. People can go to your YouTube channel to learn more about, about these issues, about these topics. Uh, much of what we just discussed is going to be uh, presented in, in the, um, the episode for the week of what would it be, October 26th. So, uh, yeah, I encourage people to go check out those videos, learn a bit more about your work and how you've incorporated and studied weather severity into an understanding of waterfowl or, or duck migration, dabbling duck migration thus far. And, uh, yeah, so remind them again, remind our listeners again where they can find that information. Yeah, so if you just uh, go to YouTube, you know, Google YouTube and click on YouTube and then type in weekly duck migration forecast, it's right there. Uh, I would say, you know, we're only in episode four. I've got many weeks of this left. We do these episodes right through the end of January for everybody from, you know, from north to south. Uh, for the most part, a lot of duck movement at the northern tier states uh, moves just based on photo period and ducks starting to think about going south. But once those ducks start to linger at mid-latitudes, weather effects really kick in uh, to a larger degree. And so I would uh, encourage folks to keep up with the, uh, with, with the YouTube channel. Um, and listening each week to find the days that would be, would be best for you to hunt. The other thing that we do that I think that's pretty cool is uh, I take questions from the audience. So if you email me at weekly duck migration forecast at gmail.com with questions, uh, I will entertain those uh, appropriate questions at the beginning of, of each episode each week on Sundays and Mondays. And you only answer the difficult questions, right? Correct. <laughs> <laughs> the, the softballs you don't even waste your time on, only the hard questions. Well, here's what happens, though, Mike, is that if you don't send me questions during the week, I make my own. And so you don't, ah, you don't want to be okay. subject to those. So um, I, I do truly like to hear questions from the hunting community uh, about duck migration and, and duck hunting in general that's focused on, um, you know, what we talk about each week. So, so please, please do send questions. Um, I do address them and uh, enjoy that back and forth with folks. Well, thank you, Mike, for joining us here and sharing more of your insights, more of what you've learned over the years about uh, weather and waterfowl migration. And we will keep an eye on these long-term forecasts um, and as well as kind of short-term developments and look forward to maybe having you back on later this winter as uh, hopefully some significant weather events will unfold and, and make things interesting for waterfowl hunters all across the country. So thank you for that, Mike, and look forward to having you back. Thank you. 
A special thanks to our guest on today's show, Dr. Mike Schumer with State University of New York, College of Environmental Science and Forestry. We always appreciate him joining us and sharing a bit of his insight and knowledge about waterfowl, weather, and how it intersects with, with hunters. We also thank our producer, Clay Baird, for the great job he does in this podcast and getting it out to you. And to you, our listeners, we thank you for your time, for spending it with us, and for your support, passion, and commitment to wetlands and waterfowl conservation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit www.ducks.org slash DU Podcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com.